Hello to everyone on the Knowledge Exchange podcast. This is Dan, the lead mentor from the Knowledge Exchange. And I am gathered here today with a bunch of clinicians that have been transitioning into telehealth and have made the full transition just in the past few days. So I wanted to get a bit of a, an opinion from employees as to why they've chosen to, to go through this route considering the context um, and just hear their reasonings, their thought process, processes behind why they chose it and also the benefits, what are the advantages because um, there is a bit of doubt as to making the full transition and there are lots of barriers to it. So I'm really keen to, to dive into the topics. So we'll go with quick intros first of all. Mr. Emmanuel, give us your, hey, your story, your quick story. Um, I'm a physiotherapist. Um, I work on the Central Coast. Um, loving my job and trying to transition into telehealth, pretty much. Awesome. Thanks for, for making the time, man. <laughs> All good, man. So, Jeff Ruffala, tell us your story. Hey, guys. So, um, my name is Jeff. Um, I'm a senior exercise physiologist practicing on the northern beaches, uh, working in private practice, uh, transitioning to telehealth as well. Awesome, awesome. And Dan Mespina. Uh, so people refer to me as the more attractive Daniel of the group. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm an exercise physiologist in Burwood, Sydney, um, and currently uh, transitioning over to telehealth as well. I work in a private uh, physiotherapy slash EP clinic. You've been waiting so long to say that one. Now it's in the public forum. That's fantastic. Love you, mate. Nate, Nathaniel, Mr. Chan, what's your story, man? Yeah, uh, physio in the, in the city, have transitioned to physio, uh, telehealth, and I'm a physio. Awesome. So we'll go around the, uh, the crowd, the room. So I'm keen to hear, Emmanuel, what, what brought you to, to telehealth? Why, why did you make the transition? Well, initially it was more so what I felt was ethically responsible as a practitioner one. Um, and then I had to obviously take into account the safety of my family and my patients or, or take that all into account essentially, because I've, I was thinking it's like, what's, what risks am I willing to take with not only my safety, but the safety of others. And it came to a very clear kind of point where I was just like, I'm not willing to take any risks at this point. And most of the people that I see, I always try to, I'm, I'm a, I don't want to touch you unless I have to kind of therapist. And I found that my job at this point in time would, and the way that I run things would very easily translate into telehealth. There have just been a few roadblocks, I guess, in trying to get that up and running at the moment with the current clinic that I'm working at. The, so the risks kind of outweighed the, the pros of staying in clinic for your safety. And you've got, you've got a kid, so tell us, you've got a family? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I've got a two-year-old little girl. My wife, she's, got, uh, she's immunocompromised, I guess. And my father's just started living with me as well. And he's over the age of 70 with cardiorespiratory issues as well. And I'm like, well, look, I obviously care about these people a lot. And it's, it's not a risk, but... Realistically, I feel anyone should be taking, but that's my opinion. But definitely for me, that there's definitely no 
there's, there's no point in it for me. Awesome. And you've already been using the kind of active approach in your practice anyway. So it was a easier kind of transition, less daunting for you, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, very much so. So the other therapists that I work with, they're very hands on and they're kind of in the process of, I guess, I don't want to say freaking out, but obviously being concerned about how they're going to translate their form of practice in, into the telehealth setting. Um, I ended up doing an in-service with them probably about two months ago, non-specific low back pain and the subjective side of things and the evidence-based practice side of things. And they were all just kind of like, you're speaking a different language essentially, but also very encouraging for me to kind of, that, that the telehealth aspect would probably work really well. It's just a go ahead essentially that I'm, I'm waiting for. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's, that's great to hear that you've, um, you've made that decision and you are feeling confident about it. So if, if any of the listeners at this stage are like, I can't do this, I don't know what to do, uh, feeling a bit lost, this, now's the time to just reach out to, to us because there's people out there that are, that are going to help and be able to help. So moving on to Mr. Jeffrey. You can call me the running EP as well. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it was a bit loud. Um, so I just wanted to say that literally my, um, my perspective on, like, on this and my decisions, my motivations have literally changed so frequently in the past, say, month, two weeks. Um, based off um, the people that I've talked to, the information that I've gathered, and um, my own um, determination of the information that I've come across. And so um, I guess to really knuckle this down, I really want to just talk about, I guess, the journey and how I got here to, um, to onto telehealth. So um, literally about two weeks ago, I was taking like one-on-ones in the clinic, group classes in the clinic, and I thought of um, this whole COVID-19 business as like, oh, this is just the flu. It's not that big of a deal. Um, and um, it, it will just go away. Like, uh, and um, I could say that a lot of people have it and, and had that mentality and a lot of people took it a lot more serious than me, but I wasn't tuning into that, um, that information. So I didn't really think about the severity of it until about, say, last week. And how that came about was literally I was having a, a group um, Zoom uh, meeting like this with, um, with yourself, Dan, and other people as well. And, um, and I also, uh, I heard about guys, literally um, people coming to the gym and uh, clinicians sending them away because they shouldn't be in the gym. And then I was like, wow, in my head, I was thinking this, you really did that? And I, I hadn't gone to that process yet, to that thought process. And I had come across a Facebook post that, uh, that questioned my morality. And the question was, um, how would you feel if you found out that you were um, COVID-19 positive or you, you, had, you tested positive for the coronavirus and you were treating clients or patients and you had to um, explain that? And I... And that really hit home in terms of the morality of seeing clients. And um, after, um, literally over the weekend, I was juggling with this, um, this moral dilemma because on one hand, I really wanted to help people. Seeing people face to face is something that I love. It's, it's the part of my job that um, I look forward to and it really gives me a sense of fulfillment. 
And so, um, and then on the other hand, I didn't want to do any harm as well. Like where, um, so I didn't know where to sit. And then, so as I was driving to work, I was, I was literally fearful of uh, what I was going to do with like a certain, like with a group class I was going to take that morning. My heart was beating. I was very anxious and I felt like this sense of guilt and um, literally started the group class. I was sitting there, I was set that I wasn't going to take anyone. Client walks in, asks like, is the group class in? Is, is the group class happening? And I said, um, yeah, it is. Um, and uh, this person asked me, are you okay with running it? And I said, honestly, I'm not, I really can't do it um, because I don't want to put yourself at risk. I don't want to put myself at risk, my family, your family. And I can't, I can't, I can't do it. And, and they told me like, you know what? Like I, I honestly was already in two minds coming into this and they were, had a sense, they had a sense of relief. So it felt good for me to say that and in a sense it felt it felt great for them as well but i can't say that um everyone is going to have that um that mentality people still like love exercise they want to do it because it gives them fulfillment and i truly believe we 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 still give people choice ourselves as clinicians we have a choice in what we can do in the situation i chose to stick with my own values my value of um, I wanted to contribute to community, but of course I didn't want to create harm. And to me, it was uh, it was a no-brainer. And I, to to be honest, I, I want to really just keep it clear: the people who do decide to um, to treat clients face to face, that doesn't mean they're bad people. No, and I, we don't want to create a false dichotomy where it's like it's 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 you're with you're with me or against me there's this gray area that we're trying to um figure out and of course there's the information we gather from the government that's still allowing us to um that, that says that we're an essential service like because i'm an exercise physiologist allied health and and so um if we had one person telling everyone what to do great it, telling everyone to shut down that would give me a great sense of relief but that's not the case um, we're at a point where we're making our own, like people are making their own decision and also other people um, waiting for their decision to be made for them. That's where I'm at. That's awesome. It's awesome to hear the kind of emotions behind that from both your end and also the, the patients. And, and also it's, it's, it's awesome that you, you mentioned, we're not trying to tell people what to do until the, the government tells us all what to do. That's the one kind of entity that can we perhaps have a little bit of choice within that and it's not a either or situation. So that was awesome. Thanks for that, Jeff. Mr. Dan, why did you transition over to, to telehealth? Uh, so sort of similar to Jeff, actually. Um, yeah. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't really taking this very seriously. Um, obviously everything was happening around the world. I'm like, Oh, you know, it's not going to happen in Australia. We've got a good healthcare system. Um, you know, we've got great government policies. We've got all these things that's it's not going to get this bad. So I was sort of a bit blase about it. Um, you know, we were doing some preventative measures, like 
sorry, preventative measures where we're wiping down equipment and ensuring like social distancing. But I guess, yeah, over the weekend that just passed, um, I started to think a lot more deeply about the impact of me being potentially part of spreading the disease. And um, I just saw the numbers going up and, the, you know, you see numbers in terms of like uh, infected people doubling every few days. Um, and I walked into the clinic on Monday at about 10.30 and I walked in and I just had this sudden realisation. I'm like, why the hell am I here? Like, I don't need to be here. And uh, the clinic was pretty quiet. We had um, all the exercise machines really spread out and we had people who would normally be waiting inside in the waiting room. They're waiting outside on the street with chairs. I'm like, if we're going to these lengths to try to do social distancing, like we should not be open. Like this, this is not going to work. So um, yeah, I sort of went to work and then um, organized a meeting with my um, employers and I just told them like my stance. I'm like, look, I'm not really feeling comfortable working at the clinic. I'd, I'd hate to be part of um, potentially spreading this virus. Um, and uh, luckily um, I had sort of put in place um, like a, a safety, not a safety net, like a, a, a backup measure of doing telehealth services. So we had started promoting it one week before and people were sort of aware of it at the time. So um, we sort of had that in place, which was a good start. And now the first couple of days of this week, we've just been uh, emailing people and calling people just to let them know that the exercise part of our clinic is transitioning to telehealth services. Um, pretty good response. Uh, we had our first group exercise class last night. Um, we had on Zoom, which was great. Everyone joined in and we, um, I was leading the class and people were just following through. They, I got people to put in uh, like a, a backpack. They would put in cans of beans or bags of rice or books, and water bottles. And we went through like a half an hour session. They seemed to really like it. Um, and I've also teeing up some consultations with people over telehealth to help them um, go through like a home-based program for them to complete whilst they're self-isolating and doing the right thing, staying at home. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my story. That's great. And you kind of, so you had that pre-frame, that plan initially, and you were able to carry that out. And it was the, the turning point sounded like it was a Monday, 1030. You had that kind of ooh, existential crisis there. And just quickly, uh, I see Jaden. I don't see him, but maybe we'll, we'll save, uh, for the purpose of the time, we'll, we'll save the, the opinions maybe for a, a comment uh, as we watch a blank screen that says Jaden Ranieri. <laughs> so colleague of Dan. Cool. So moving over to, to Nate. So tell us why, what, what was your, the processes going through your mind as you made the transition to, to telehealth, mate? Um, pretty much everyone's story combined. So ethically, obviously you don't want to be that one because that's, that's how the virus started, right? Took one person spread out across the world. Um, so having that in mind, obviously family, friends, you don't want to be that person causing this change or this outbreak. So then that didn't sit well with me. Bring it up to your your boss, your colleagues, and everyone was pretty, pretty on board with it. We already had telehealth in plan, not because of the outbreak, just interstate people, people from overseas. Um, and then it's just bring it to life now. So pretty much with Dan, just telling people, informing them, you can still get the same results 
service or value, whatever name you want to put onto it, via telehealth as you would in face-to-face. Obviously, rapport is slightly harder to get, but at the end of the day, results are results. So it's just as of yesterday, yeah, everyone has been full-time telehealth online via Zoom or whatever exercise app you guys may have at the clinic. That's awesome. And it's great that you, you all made the transition. You had that in place already. So it's a, it would sound yeah. like it was an added kind of value for, for the business to be able to communicate and help people from overseas or if clients were, were traveling. Was that, what were the kind of the, the, the reasons for having telehealth in the first place already established? Um, being in the city, everyone's flying in and out, whether Queensland, Melbourne, Perth, Singapore, whatever whatever country you want to name, like it was going to be hard to get see clients if they needed a, a session straight off the bat. So then we implemented that probably about a year ago and now it's just become a thing. And now it's even more of a thing or main priority right now given this pandemic. Yeah, I, I was going to say it's, it's fortunate, but uh, considering the circumstances, I wouldn't say it's fortunate, but it's great that you had that that preparation already in the, you had the systems in place. So that's a great advantage for telehealth, not only now, but for the future to reach out to more people. That's great. Dan, what, uh, apart from um, being able to work from home and there's a, I know you have a great setup there, home gym there. What's, what are some of the, the advantages? What's, what's some of the most enjoyable features uh, of, of telehealth? Uh, number one would be staying in your pajamas all day. Uh, no, I, I don't know. It's it's quite refreshing. Um, I mean, similar to Jeff, he's saying that he really enjoys like interacting with people in a clinic setting. Like, I love doing that as well. Like, that's that would that gets me through the day a lot. Like, interaction with people. Um, I, I guess what's enjoyable. It's. It's hard for me to answer that right now, Daniel. Um, I'm still sort of adjusting to it. Um, I do like the idea of the flexibility side of things. So you mentioned my um, my infamous home gym. So today, you know, I was able to wake up and have a nice sit-down breakfast and then do some work on the computer, email some people, have a chat to people on the phone, and then take a bit of a lunch break and then go to the home gym, which was, you know, two meters away from the living room, which is pretty pretty comfortable. Um, and then come back to the computer after that, and do some more work. So I guess the flexibility side of things is quite nice. Um, uh, it'd be great if there was more like social interactions like what we're doing now. I think that would make the day a lot more fulfilling for myself. I guess it's just um, reaching out to people a bit more and seeing if they're available to have chats similar to this one. That's great. And just quickly, for those of us who aren't fortunate enough to have a trap bar, gym, setup, extreme, supreme in their home two meters away what would you say some advice for for those that have say no equipment at home and that's a barrier uh just some things i touched on before you know like you can grab grab a backpack i've seen a few of your videos daniel where you just throw things in a backpack and people can squat with it or do some bicep curls um i i i tell people to grab um like the reusable shopping bags not the plastic ones but like the fabric ones they're pretty sturdy so you can sort of throw stuff in there and you can do trap bar-esque exercises with them um uh, but um 
yeah, any, anything, I guess, is weighted and you can always manipulate other variables for exercise. It doesn't always have to be the weight. It could be the tempo. It could be the repetitions. It could be the eccentric phase, focus, whatever it may be. There's, there's definitely other ways where you can um, implement an exercise to have a benefit. Awesome. Love the creativity there. So, Jeff, I know you are the running EP. You probably, if you were working with a runner, rehabbing, um, what would you kind of do in terms of strengthening and if someone has minimal equipment as a, as a runner? Uh, that's um, just to piggyback off, <clears throat> piggyback off what yourself and what Dan has mentioned. Um, it really like the question was, it sounded like, Oh, what can you do if you have like minimal equipment or if you have nothing, right? It, and that to me is a perceived barrier. It really comes down to our creativity and um, the people that we see, they, they might think that they have nothing to work with. Like, do you have a backpack? Do you have textbooks? Can you modify the way you train in terms of intensity, tempo? There's a lot of things you can do. It really comes down to um, them or us communicating that to them clearly in their language. And so, um, there's a lot of things you can do with say runners, for example, you can do uh, unilateral exercises, like you can do a lot of like isometric exercise. There's a lot you could do to maintain your, your strength and, um, and um, you can still go running at the moment. Uh, like keep your, keep your distance. You're running away. You can run away from people as well if you want. So it really comes down to your creativity. And so um, I really wanted to, just reinforce that this is a huge, huge opportunity to really show how the, how powerful communication really is in connecting and um, as a huge um, aspect of rehabilitation and treatment. So like, how, how can we use motivational interviewing? How can we use aspects in acceptance and commitment therapy, or even just simply providing a reassurance for, um, I don't know if you know, I, I am very passionate in helping people living with chronic pain. So if we can just listen to their story, provide reassurance and validation, you don't need to be hands-on. You don't need equipment for that. That in itself is so powerful. And so this is a great opportunity to practice that, make mistakes and reflect and ultimately see, um, see the results for yourself. And of course, it's not gonna be perfect at the start, it just takes practice. Awesome, words of wisdom. And it's great to, to know that the communication aspect is now even more important that we aren't there in person, we don't have that presence. Uh, we, we rely on the words that we use and looking at body language cues and awesome use of motivational interviewing as well. So I wanted to ask as a final question for the physios in this chat, because I, I, I feel like there could be some kind of, you know, dichotomy between the EPs and physios uh, in terms of moving on to telehealth due to the hands-on nature of, of physical therapy, the option for physical therapy. So I'll, I'll ask Emmanuel then, and then Nate. Emmanuel, what's the, how, how would you advise someone say that that is primarily uh, manual therapy based or they, they enjoy and they use a lot um, of the hands-on work. Now they're suddenly hands-off, they're left in the dark, they don't know what to do. What's some of the 
words of wisdom for them to help them out on this on this transition? Yeah, sure. That's a good question. Look, I think what we were talking about before, reaching out to people that feel more comfortable with this type of uh, therapy restrictions, I guess, um, and making sure you've got a mentor or you've got somebody you can bounce ideas off or taking the time because we've got plenty of it at the moment to do a motivational interviewing course or something along those lines in order to try and really focus and hone in on the subjective aspect of things. Most of the time when, if you're doing a thorough objective, the objective measures are mostly there to confirm what you're already, all the information that you're already gathering. It's more, you know, twist, pop, mechanism of injury. It has, it's, if you don't already have an idea of what's going on through the subjective, then my, and you're relying on the objective measures to kind of figure out what's going on, my biggest thing would be to take a step back. And it's what I tell my students whenever they come in. It's like, there's this need that you have to go in and you have to put, put your hands on somebody in order to fix them. And I always, and that's, that's, I found that it's more of an anxiety component that a lot of physios have based on the cultural and societal expectations of what we, what we actually do. And I always tell them to like, take a breath, take a step back, check all the information you have, and if need be, clarify, go through things again, dive deeper in order to find out what it is that you're missing that you feel like you need to do an objective assessment in order to figure it out. Most of the time, like what, um, what Jeff was saying is that if, if, oh no, my brain's just farted. I can't actually remember what I was going to say anymore. <laughs> I, think, I think all of our, our brains are a bit kind of, you know, where have got sleepless nights, all the worries oh, and stresses, mate. you family, I imagine. Water, I tell you like, what, crap. <laughs> <laughs> if you do remember what you were going to say, please uh, jump in on the final yeah, comment. Uh, I'll move over to, to Nate. So for, for physical therapists, uh, people who have been practicing manual therapy hands-on, they're now only able to do hands-off. What's some pieces of, of wisdom for them? Um... If you're, if they are, or you are, if they're currently listening, um, super hands-on, just like the situation, it's evolving. Just evolve your, the way you work. So if you're super hands-on, obviously you can't do that as much anymore, especially if you're with telehealth. So just maybe learn from yourself, Dan, or even with Jeff, just learn all that motivational interviewing. Learn how to communicate achieve like a functional goal rather than an objective goal, whether it be um, like what makes it sore. So if squatting makes it sore, that's going to be a point of reference to see if that's changing, good or bad. Hip range matters a little bit, but if, as long as they're doing their daily goals or whatever they want to achieve, i.e. squat, that's the main thing. Don't be so honed in on the smaller details. Just as what Emmanuel alluded to, sort of take a step back or zoom out a little bit, look at the, the bigger picture. Awesome. Never a better time than now to, to do that. Like, the, like you said, the, the special test objective measure is what they want, what meaningful movement that they want to be able to do better. So we're keeping with the, the functional outcomes. So Emmanuel did that uh, spark of, of of genius come back? No, not really. <laughs> That's fine. All good. So uh, I've got 
for the last final comments, um, we've got just a couple of minutes to keep this short and sweet. I'll, I'll get it over to Dan. Final comments for, for those looking to transition. Uh, just do it sooner rather than later. Um, you know, you can just keep waiting and waiting. And as was alluded to before, like waiting for the government to say like, yep, no more allied health. But the sooner you get there, the, the, the easier it is and the more reach you could have to uh, help more people. Um, so yeah, definitely reach out to anybody here or anybody else that's uh, using telehealth services and they'd be more than happy to help you along the way. Awesome. So if anyone has any final comments, Jeff, go for it. Um, we all have a choice in this and, um, it sounds very, um, too, uh, easier said than done. If you're, if you're even on the fence and you feel guilty and you're not sure what to do, have the conversation with your employer, have the conversation with your team and address how you're feeling. You'll be surprised what sort of conversation you're going to have, how, how supportive you are how supported you are and, um, and the, the options that you really have in this, in this situation, a lot of people feel can feel very powerless, feel like a lot has been taken away from them and so very quickly. And just keep in mind the one thing that we do have is a choice in the situation. And it is very, it, this requires you to be quite vulnerable and courageous. Um, the reason why I'm on, I'm on here is I, I wouldn't like anyone to go to work guilty and have this sense of um, shame or anything that's making them feel bad and um, have the conversation. You have a choice. Best final words. So I think everything has been said so far. So thank you gentlemen for your time and anyone listening, please, reach out, please start the conversation. With these crucial conversations, we'll make change. And comment below, we'll keep up the conversations. This is a crucial week for, for us and for healthcare in general. Thank you.